great Scott. Are you a sports fan who loves to have a good laugh? Oh, yeah. Then you're in the right place. I'm going to make him an offer again. Life moves pretty fast. Welcome to the Man Cave Chronicles. Put my gun in the raft, and uh, you know we'll just uh, push off from shore. And this current is so swift that we'll be starting to move pretty quickly. All right. Oh, I think I just tore my pants. Oh, really? Yeah, you did. Uh, hey, hey, look at my new crotchless panties. Oh, nice. Got them at the mall, Victoria's Secret. I can fix that. I got a stapler. Oh. <laughs> Didn't feel a thing. I took an Ambien earlier. Well done. All right, let's go. I'm just paddling in mud. Oh. If you listen closely, you can hear the asthmatic fish. Oh, yeah. Hey, look, an eagle. Huh? Is that the one with a crow in his mouth? Yeah. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. This week I have comedian and improv uh, Brad Sherwood. Brad, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Well, what's new with you? Uh, what is new? Well, uh, Colin and I are on tour. Uh, obviously, there's been some terrible things going on in Vegas today where I live, uh, but, you know, I don't think we need to talk about that. Yeah. Other than it's just horrible. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, so uh, let's, you know, let's start talking about a little bit about you. Uh, where are you originally from? Uh, originally from Chicago. I lived there till I was 10 and then moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico and lived there till I went to college and then I went to school in Ohio in uh, Dayton. And uh, then moved out to Los Angeles to try and make it as an actor. Yeah. And how was the, you know, the procedure doing something like that? How did it go for you? Uh, well, I'm currently working, so I guess that's a success yeah. when you're an actor. If you if you manage to pay your bills and uh, make car payments or mortgage payments, uh, then that is a glowing success as an actor because. You're just a gypsy looking for work when you can get it, and yeah. if you get some consistent work, that's just as good as it gets. Yeah. Do uh, like fans, when they see you, is it more like, do they know you just from like whose line is it anyways? Some do. Some people look at me and they, they think I look familiar, so they think they know me from somewhere around there. Other people know exactly who I am, my first name and my last name. And then other people go, weren't you that guy on that thing? So, you know, it, it runs the gamut. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I have actually a pretty good level of, of recognizability in that, uh, you know, people don't come up to bother me like super famous people on a regular basis who can never even, like, have a sip of coffee or a bite of food in a restaurant yeah. uh, without people wanting a selfie and all that. You know, I'm just someone that every once in a while goes, hey, you're the guy from Who's Line. That's like the perfect level of fame. It doesn't translate into a lot of money, but it is a perfect level of fame. Yeah. So uh, how did you start up in uh, in comedy and improv? Well, I got started uh, in comedy. I just always liked being funny, and I did theater all through school from the age of eight on through college. And uh, then when I was in college, I was in an, a group. We did some sketch stuff, kind of like a you know, fledgling Second City thing, and we did a little bit of improv. Uh, and then when I moved out to L.A., I got involved with uh, an improv group and did, took improv classes. 
and sort of said, this is what I was meant to do. And I never stopped doing it. I performed in clubs and theaters all around L.A. for years and years, doing shows for free just because, you know, there wasn't any money in it. And uh, just got good at it and then got into Second City um, uh, out in Los Angeles and did that. And then eventually got on to Hoofline. Do you remember the first time you performed? You know, uh, I have a vague memory of being Snoopy in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, when I was about five. Uh, You know, it was a school production. And all I had to do was lay on the top of the the doghouse and not do much. You know, Snoopy was kind of a passive character when he's on the doghouse. But I was moving around and dancing, and apparently I managed to wiggle the top of the dog house loose so the whole thing collapsed and i guess i got a pretty good laugh so i think that's where the the bug for me was born yeah who do um who are some of your influences in comedy growing up uh well i loved monty python just anything that they did i i loved i read lots of mad magazine and when i was a kid i watched nothing but tv i was an only child so the tv was my sibling and I watched old, you know, reruns of The Honeymooners and The Andy Griffith Show, and I watched The Carol Burnett Show back when, you know, variety shows were the big thing. Everybody had a variety show. Dean Martin and Sonny and Cher was like, that's when you knew you became a true success is when you had your own variety show where you would sing and do comedy sketches on TV. Yeah. Were you a fan of, like, uh, Saturday Night Live at all? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was 10 when Saturday Night Live first started. So I, you know, fell in love with that and, the, you know, the original cast uh, with John Belushi and Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd and the whole gang. You know, I wanted to be like those guys. And so when I got to do Second City later after college, it was really exciting to kind of start working in a organization that they had all come up in. Yeah. Um, but uh, did you, were you on the... England version of uh, whose line is it? Yeah, you were. Yeah, I, I, did three, I, I did. Yeah, three seasons of the English version, and the the last season that we did of the English version, uh, right after we finished taping the episodes, we started the first season of Whose Line. So we were on the set in L.A. shooting our the last season with Clive, the English host, and okay. then Drew came in and started taping the American version. Yeah. Now. Um, there wasn't really a big difference between the English version and the American version, correct? No, we had all the same producers, basically the same cast. The shape of the stage was the same. We had the same uh, musical director with Laura Hall uh, when we started. And, uh, and, and yeah, it was all the same British producers. So yeah. they were still shooting the show and crafting it the way they wanted. And we were all the same people. So really, there was not much difference. Yeah. How was it working with people like Drew Carey and, you know, like uh, Greg and Ryan Stiles? It's fun. You know, we still yeah. work together because yeah. uh, we're still taping. Uh, once a year we go out for a couple weekends and choose a new season. Uh, it's great. You know, I've known them all for so long. I mean, I've known them all for, God, almost almost 30 years now. That's how long ago yeah. it started. And, uh, you know, I, I had worked with most of them even before I had worked with them on Who's Line, because uh, I worked with Ryan in Second City out in California. In fact, he was in the main show, and I was in the touring company there, and I was his understudy. So <laughs> I was at Ryan's understudy in a, in a live Second City show before I ever shot Who's Line. Yeah. And I knew Greg from Theater Sports. I knew Wayne from Theater Sports, and I knew Colin because I had 
shot a show with his wife that his wife produced, which was also a Second City production. So I go way back with all of the guys. Yeah. And uh, you've also done a couple of uh, TV shows also, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, lots lots of stuff. I, I've hosted a bunch of shows over the years and uh, done stuff here and there. My first gig was uh, L.A. Law uh, long ago when I first moved out to L.A. That was my first professional television show. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, you also hosted, I noticed, like, the was it The Dating Game? Yep. Yeah. I hosted The Dating Game and a show called The Big Moment, which was an ABC show that was on for a brief second. And then uh, lots of other shows that were on, you know, that either were pilots that never came to anything or only had a couple of episodes that aired. So, it's, yeah. you know, it's like... Uh, it's uh, like you said. You're a gypsy. You may you may shoot. You may be a uh, game show host on ten different game shows, and only one of them actually takes off. Yeah, yeah. I've had other comedians have come on the show, and you know they talked about how they filmed pilots, and you know it gets picked up or it doesn't get picked up, and then they have to try again the year after. Oh yeah, it, yeah. When you get on a show that lasts two or three years, that's considered a true success. And then if it goes five to eight years, then you sort of set for a long time. Yeah. You've also helped uh, Drew out on the Price is Right, correct? Oh uh, yeah. When uh, they when he was first coming on, they were looking to uh, have a new person do the announcing. So he had me come in and a couple other guys uh, all come in and try out our hand as the announcer. So I did a month of shows and got to say, "Come on down in a new car." It was pretty surreal because I loved that show when I was a kid. Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember when when I was you know I'm 40 years old when I you know when I was young and I'll be home from school sick or something like that. It's one you know you waited till 11 11 30 to roll around just to watch that. Yeah, yeah, the same with me. I got to watch it when I was six. So I've always equated uh, Price is Right with not having to go to school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was always the fun thing. It was like ah, that that's the joy. I didn't have to go to school today, and I get to watch Price is Right. Correct. So it was. It always had a good association with it. Yeah, and actually, it's kind of funny. Like you said, you were, you were mentioning about those older shows. I remember, like when I said when I was younger, you know, it would be like I Dream of Genie was on, and uh, you know, I forget what other show was on after that. And then it would be, like I said, Price is Right. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah, all the great old short half-hour comedy Correct. series. Yeah, Gilligan's Island and the Munsters and the Adams Family and let's see, when you're younger than I am, I'm trying to think of what other ones would have been. Oh, even uh, Three's Company. I was a huge fan of Three's oh, yeah. Company growing up. Oh, yes. Yeah. To this day, I can still watch that. Oh, yeah. yeah. The Man Cave Chronicles on Twitter at the MCC Podcast. We'll be right back. Rotoware.com. Rotoware. Big shout out to the Rotoware uh, company. It's so goddamn comfortable. Can't recommend them enough, man. Yeah. High quality t shirts. Shout out to Rotoware.com. You see me rocking the shirts on the videos and stuff like that. Where'd you get that? Rotoware. That is courtesy of Rotoware. It's just it's just the highest quality of shirts. Yeah, I really like the baseball designs you got here. The shirt is beautiful. Everybody who I've talked to who has the shirt basically says they can't believe how good the quality is. Yeah, Kenneth, I've seen you been getting a lot of love. You said you've been only running for a little over a month. CBS guys are tweeting out shirts. I'm seeing fantasy personalities everywhere digging this guy's shirt. I love the Run DFS shirt. It comes with the baseball cards with all the different shirts on it. Rotoware on Twitter. Check out rotoware.com. Oh my God. Is this, is this shirt making love to me right now? Like, what's going on? I love this shirt. This is Adam Nutter. And this is Greg Trout. And we're Nerds with Words. And you are listening to the BS Podcast Network.
how was it working on the Drew Carey show? Uh, that was fun. I, we did uh, three episodes uh, where he had Drew Carey live. Uh, his last three seasons, we got to do it once every year, and it was fun. And we would shoot it, I think we taped it twice. We did it for the East Coast live, and then we did it for the West Coast live. And I mean, did we do it three times? I can't remember. Was, that the, did it three was that the one that you guys did live when you had to wear the 3D glasses, too, for one of them? Probably, yeah, yeah. I sort of was like a facilitator host of the show, and I would come in from time to time and run, set up sort of an improv yeah. game while they are still trying to do the sitcom. Uh, but because we were shooting it live, no matter what happened, that was what the audience was going to see, literally live to tape, uh, which really was very rarely done back then. And certainly ha- having actual improv segments in it was really fun and terrifying at the same time for most of the cast that weren't normally doing improv. <laughs> yeah, I know that, uh, that was actually one of my, one of my favorite shows growing up too. And it's like, I still wish it was still like on syndication, but you can't even watch They're, They don't play it that much anymore. Yeah. yeah. It's weird. Which shows like get sitcom reruns in perpetuity versus ones that never like whose line. Yeah. You know, it, we, we had reruns on ABC family back when it was on ABC, but yeah. now you, you can't even find the show on, on, on demand. I guess it's now on the, the CW app. You yeah. can find it on the CW app, which at least that's good. Yeah. But you're, but you rarely are going to stumble across it just late night on some channel. Yeah. I mean, even uh, when it came back to CW, it's still as funny as it was in the older days too. Well, thank you. Yes. I mean, we, we are still wise acres. We're just a little more wrinkly. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, like I said. It's like it's a. I'm always recording it on the DVR so I can watch it. Um, so you and Colin have been touring for how many years now? Twenty years. Uh, we've actually been doing our two man live show for going on. This is our fifteenth year. Fifteenth year. And we we call it our part time, our full time part time job because you know we just sort of tried out, didn't know if there'd be a market for it, and then we've been going ever since, and we've just had a great time because. The show is always improvised, so it's never the same twice for us. Yeah. So it doesn't get boring. Now, how did did you guys, were you guys like 100% sure that it was going to work out with just you two doing the tour? Uh, no. We got, you know, I had done a two-man improv show in stand-up comedy clubs with a friend of mine. But, uh, you know, I didn't know if there was going to be, you know, a market for us to actually go into theaters and put butts in the seats. Yeah. Uh, so we gave we did decided to give it a two week try. Our tour promoter, uh, Mills Entertainment, uh, took us on a two week tour to see if there'd be a market for it, and we sold well. And then we just started going, and we're selling out shows, and just had, had a nice fifteen year run. Yeah. Do you how many shows do you guys do together throughout the year? It just it varies. It we, we do anywhere from like forty to sixty shows a year. Yeah. And uh, and. In between that, that's where you try to do like your TV and anything. Everything yeah, else. yeah, yeah. You, we always just go out on auditions and look for other work in the meantime. Um, but you know, now it's kind of, I feel fortunate that you know I can make a good living just doing the live touring. So yeah, uh, that takes the pressure off having to get a commercial or a hosting job or or be on a sitcom. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's kind of nice. It's like I get to go out on the weekends and make people laugh, and then come home and hang out with my wife and my dog. Yeah. Um, yeah. How was it doing sketches on the Tonight Show? Oh, it was a blast. That was such a fun 
time in my life. I worked with Jay when he first started on the Tonight Show. They had me coming in all the time. I worked with one of his writers, whose name is Mike Colasuno, and he brought me in to do a couple of sketches when they had some ideas. And uh, they just, all the producers and writers really liked what I was doing. So they had me coming in almost every day to do something. You know, one time I'm a werewolf, next time I'm, you know, doing the voice for a dolphin puppet, and then I'm Dr. Phil or Janet Reno or Ozzy Osbourne. They would just put me in wigs and stuff and have me in all the sketches and the celebrity jeopardy send ups and all that stuff. And it was great. I was doing sometimes, you know, five shows a week and it paid my bills for a long time there when I had no other gigs. And, uh, you know, I got to use my sketch comedy chops, which I had done a bunch of other stuff before. And, uh, you know, we were talking about the, about Drew Carey before and, uh, the show that he had on the Game Show Network, the improv, the improv show. That yeah, was Improvaganza. Correct. Uh, yeah, that was that was fun. That was just basically us live in Vegas. That basically he yeah. just said, "Let's do our show live in Vegas, and you know, we'll tape a bunch of episodes, and it'll be a fun way to see us perform." Yeah, and that was only on for one season, correct? Uh, I think there were maybe two seasons or two or three seasons of Improvaganza. Yeah. I can't remember for sure, but I think that's right. Do you get, when you guys perform, do you like it when, like when the audience comes up and interacts with you guys and they screw something up or they make, Oh yeah. We, we like bringing the audience up because we hope that they make mistakes because when they make mistakes, that gives us something to work with. Yeah. For example, if they said stuff that made sense and was really, really funny, on purpose, then we'd have no job, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but that, that's what our, our job is to sort of make the absurd seem normal and make the normal boring seem really weird and exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's been a couple of times where, you know, like the, just by watching the show, there's been, you know, like a, a fan will come up and they'll just make the weirdest sounds for you guys to do things. Yeah, yeah. Generally, that's the good thing about that game is it works really well, no matter which they do. If yeah. the person is really good at sound effects, the audience loves it, and then we get to go really fast and try and trip them up. And then if they're really terrible at sound effects, we get to make jokes about how bad the sounds are. So really, either way, that, that one's sort of a, a really strong game to tickle the audience funny bone. Yeah. Who's a better singer, you or Wayne? Oh, well... Wayne is an amazing, like vocally, like he's, he's the real deal. Like yeah. he's an R and B true singer. Yeah. Uh, so that's not even a contest. Um, I'm, I probably can bench press more than him, but that really has nothing to do with improv, but I'm just trying to find something that maybe I do a little better than him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's, he's like a singer who actually can improvise. I'm more of like an improviser who can sing. Have a question for the Man Cave Chronicles? Tweet them now at the MCC Podcast. Hey guys, Brian Padone here, founder of Quiet Punch. When I'm not listening to the Man Cave Chronicles, you can catch me filming one of my live workouts on quietpunch.com. Check it out today. That's quietpunch.com. Hey, this is Adam Nutter. And this is Greg Trout. Come check out our podcast, Nerds with Words. Adam and I talk about pop culture, comedy, comic books, movies, conspiracies. We're both comedians and we might make you laugh. Every week we welcome a guest from the entire spectrum of pop culture and science and comedy. You can follow us on Twitter at NerdsWithWords1. 
This is John Poveromo, and you're listening to the Man Cave Chronicles. Um, so I got two questions from uh, fans on Twitter. One of them was from uh, at Merceal Maine, and they asked, do you think it would be worth trying to get into comedy where that would be stand-up or improv? Uh, well, based on my results, I guess I would have to say yes, because I'm paying my way in life and have a house. But the odds are that, you know, any form of art or sports is very competitive. So you have to kind of love the journey. Uh, you have to enjoy the process so that if you're only set on becoming super famous and successful, it can be a letdown. So you have to like being a performer and making people laugh even in coffee houses. Otherwise, you might be disappointed. Yeah. And the second question was from at TG McGregor's. What techniques do you use in musical improv? And do you land on a word and try to rhyme it or pre-think it? Uh, that's an excellent question. I generally, as I'm singing along, I, the good word, I'll, I'll call it the good word, pops into my head. So I, I save that for the, the end of the rhyme and I try to work my way to a word that rhymes with that good word uh, to throw out in the first sentence so it's kind of like working backwards so when you get the topic and let's say the topic is proctologist then you think okay the funny word for proctologist is colon so now you start singing and you're trying to come up with a word that rhymes with colon before you get to the end of the first line. So my brain thinks colon's a funny word, uh, and then I immediately go, oh, the funny word is swollen. Blah, 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 swollen, blah, 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 colon. That's kind of how most improvisers work. Do you, like, ever, like, sit at home and, like, just look up, like, words or anything, just to, like, practice this kind of stuff? No. No, I've just been doing it for so long. Yeah, and when I was a kid, I used to love reading Mad Magazine, and Mad Magazine always did these like musical send-ups of yeah. movies and stuff where they would write lyrics to songs and say, oh, to the tune of If I Only Had a Brain from Wizard of Oz. And so that I would sing the song with their rhyming words, and it sort of taught me how to make funny rhyming songs in my brain. Yeah. Yeah, and I then so I, I would dissect comedy in that sense and realize the value and how the process worked yeah um so pretty much like when you guys get together you don't even practice you just pretty much just go on stage and that's it huh no the practice really is in doing it in front of audiences you're in your early days you know that's where you sort of get you know yeah. tested you know the trials and tribulations of failing on stage and falling flat on your face and and sometimes getting big laughs and sometimes you know just hearing crickets yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I always joke that I've, st I, I have yet, I've been performing and doing live, uh, professional improv for several decades, but I still haven't done as many paid shows as I did free shows back in the day. Yeah. So that's where you really earn your stripes and, and learn the technique. So it's almost like a intellectual martial art. You sort of have to train yourself how, what, you know, to be ready for anything in any situation. Yeah. Kind of like a martial artist, but it's but you're doing it, you know, comedy wise and situationally. Yeah. Do you ever uh like people that don't know you and stuff like that, do you ever like mess around with people sometimes? That don't know me? What do you mean? Like, you mean like Yeah, like you're you're just out in the public and do you ever just like start improvising something just to screw around with people? Never. Never. <laughs> I never. I would never do that for fear that someone 
would then figure out who I was, and then they would think, oh, that guy's an ass. Yeah. Uh, no, no. So, I, I, yeah, I, I, I would never treat people like uh, like cat toys, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, and then, uh, like I told you earlier, I, we play this little game on here, like what's trending, but because of today's things that happen with Las Vegas and everything, I just wrote down one thing that we, we can – Try to make fun of is uh, a woman got dragged out of the southwestern flights for being allergic to animals. She got dragged out for being allergic. Yes. Wow. Yeah. They didn't. They didn't offer to take the animals out. Instead, they just dragged her out, and she didn't want to. And she didn't want to leave the airplane. That's a nightmare. That, there's nothing funny about that. I travel so much in airplanes. That's like my worst nightmare is somehow being taken off a flight or a flight being delayed for whatever reason so that I would, might miss a show. So, like, oh, you've tapped into all my phobias right at this very moment. Right. And you would think that... I will say, I, I don't want to bring it down, but just on the Vegas thing, uh, this town is a great town, and everybody, this, the, the people that live here, have just been lining up to give blood, and it was just amazing to see in in the face of this horrible tragedy how awesome the people and the first responders and the emergency medical staff responded over the last you know yeah. sixteen hours. So it's just been something to see in the face of a tragedy that was created by someone uh, who just had such a dark soul to want to do something like that. Yeah. How many years have you been living in Vegas now? Uh, I've been here about three and a half years. We okay. left L.A. Uh, we just got tired of living in L.A. It was so crowded, and we just it just took us so long to get everywhere. And then we moved here, and this place is so unpopulated in respect, in you know, relationship to L.A. that it was like living in a giant open field. I mean, it just you, know, you get on the freeway, and there's just no cars, and you can get across town anytime you want. And it, yeah. we love it here. We yeah. love it here. Do you live outside of the strip? Like, yes, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. We we live uh, out in a nice neighborhood that, and pretty much once you're off of the strip, Vegas is like a just a quiet desert town, like a tiny version of Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. I went to me and my wife went to Vegas uh, for the first time three years ago, four years yeah. ago. Yeah, and it was mm-hmm. just 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 when you're landing, you just see all the desert and everything, and then you and then you see the strip, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's just like an adult Disneyland in the middle of this big desert bowl. Correct. Yeah. All right. And uh, how uh, how can the fans get a hold of you? Facebook, Twitter? Uh, yeah, the best way uh, to check out where our shows are, uh, they can go to a website, which is colinandbradshow.com, all written out, colinandbradshow.com. And that has our tour. Uh, they can find dates when we might be coming uh, to a town near them. And uh, they can follow me on Twitter at the Brad Sherwood. The word the Brad Sherwood. And uh, I'll give Collins. His is just Colin Mockery. Simple enough. There you go. All right. Is yeah. there anything else you want to tell listeners before we uh, end this? Uh, no, just uh, check our website. We tour a lot, and we're very funny. We guarantee that it'll be the uh, second funniest thing they ever see in their lives. I have no idea what the first thing is, but I just don't <laughs> want to get sued. Uh, and that's it. All right. Well, I'd like to thank you personally for coming on to my podcast. Oh, it was my pleasure. With a, with a great Irish name like Elias. I'm kidding. You yeah. have about the most Greek-sounding name I've ever heard in my life. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for coming on. Yeah, it was a real pleasure. It was good talking to you. I don't know what to do. I'm failing out of political science. Neuroshi. I don't know what to say, but let us do.